Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Sullivan. Today on the program, showdown. Privilege and confidentiality are not mine to waive, and I hope that I have the opportunity to speak my truth. There was no inappropriate pressure put on the minister at any time. Resignations. The prime minister loses his top advisor and close friend, Gerald Butts. Accusations of illegal pressure, counter-accusations that it's all false. But in days, the deafening silence of the former Attorney General, Jody Wilson-Raybould, will end. What will she say this week when she says she'll speak her truth? Does she have proof of some illegal activity? And if so, why didn't she speak up earlier? Today, we look ahead at what's coming in the biggest controversy to hit this government. Cabinet Minister Patty Hyde is here. Then, MPs will weigh in on whether there should be a public inquiry. Plus, pipeline decision. It's a step. It's not a victory, but it is an important step. A dramatic decision from the National Energy Board pushes the pipeline debate back to the front of the agenda. Will the government now build the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion? Alberta Premier Rachel Notley joins us, plus by-election battle. Decision day in Burnaby South as voters will seal Jagmeet Singh's fate at the ballot box. Can the NDP leader pull off a big win in B.C.? And can they hold Tom Mulcair's former riding in Montreal? Tom Mulcair and pollster Nick Nanos weigh in on the scrum. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. Well, if you've been binge-watching the SNC-Lavalin political drama over the last two weeks, and let's face it, who hasn't, the finale could come this week when the former Justice Minister, Jody Wilson-Raybould, the person at the heart of all this, will testify in front of the Justice Committee. Could happen Tuesday or Wednesday. But there already has been a lot of drama. For example, the Prime Minister's top advisor and close friend, Gerald Butts, abruptly resigned. Then Jody Wilson-Raybould popped up at a secretive cabinet meeting the next day. Wilson-Raybould said she hopes to one day speak her truth. So, when she does speak, will she drop a bombshell that will reveal that the government improperly pressured her to try to get her to help SNC-Lavalin avoid a criminal prosecution? Or will it all come down to he said, she said, one person's improper pressure is another person's proper discussion? Let's find out. Joining me now is the Minister of Employment, Workforce and Development and Labor, Patty Haidu. Minister Haidu, good to have you on the program. Of course, on Tuesday or Wednesday, Jody Wilson-Raybould will testify in front of the Justice Committee. Will the Prime Minister release her from the solicitor-client privilege so the public can know that she is speaking 100% freely at that committee? Well, I think you, uh, thanks Evan, it's great to be here with you as well. I think uh, you heard the Attorney General last week in question period when he was asked that question uh, a number of times that he was reviewing uh, the, the uh, attorney-client privilege situation carefully. He'll have recommendations for the Prime Minister. Obviously, uh, this is an important decision. There are two active court cases. Uh, it you know, sets precedence in many different ways. And so uh, I know the Prime Minister looks forward to his advice. Well, I hope the advice comes, frankly, before Tuesday or Wednesday, because I think we want to make sure that whatever she says, she's unfettered. She herself has said she wants to speak her truth. But, Minister, let me just get to the nub of this thing, whether this, uh, whether she was pressured unduly or not. The Prime Minister first denied the Globe and Mail story, calling it false. Then the clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Wernick, testified that indeed she was pressured. They spoke to her multiple times, but it was not undue pressure. So was she pressured? But in your view, is the government's line, we pressured her, but it was never improper. 
You know, I can't speak to uh, the former Attorney General's perspective on um, her experience uh, and whether or not what she experienced was undue pressure. But what I can speak to is my relationship with the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister's office. And I can tell you that, um, you know, uh, the Prime Minister uh, and I have had a number of frank conversations about very, very difficult files. Uh, and I have never felt undue pressure. I have felt oftentimes that we've uh, had to work through oftentimes significant differences of opinion about how to move forward on a file, had complicated conversations about really important matters that affect Canadians in a variety of different ways, and in fact have been encouraged by the Prime Minister since I was appointed First Minister of Status of Women and later Minister of Employment to have that frankness in my conversations with him. Minister, here's what's baffling to a lot of Canadians watching this, uh, and the, I think the dates are important here. On September 4th, the Department of Public Prosecutions told SNC-Lavalin, you will not be getting a deferred prosecution agreement. You will have to have a criminal trial. Okay, you'll face a criminal trial. On September 17th, then the government knew that. Okay, but then if I look at these dates, you've got a September 17th meeting with the Prime Minister and Jody Wilson-Raybould, and he knew then that they weren't getting the deferred prosecution. December 5th, the Principal Secretary, Gerald Butts, meets with Jody Wilson-Raybould. December 18th, the Prime Minister's staff meets with uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould. December um, 19th, the Clerk of the Privy Council does all of them to talk about the lobbying effort by SNC-Lavalin. Why are they meeting with the, the Justice Minister and the Attorney General to talk about SNC-Lavalin after the decision was already made? Listen, Evan, I wasn't at those meetings. I didn't, I wasn't privy to those conversations. So I, I don't even know what the nature of those conversations were. Uh, you know, I guess these are the kinds of questions that the Ethics Commissioner will have full recourse to ask. Um, and back to, you know, my perspective, I, you know, I stand with the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister has been very clear. He did not direct the attorney, former Attorney General to take any specific action. Um, obviously, these are difficult conversations okay, and then, important then decisions. With all due respect, no one has suggested that Prime Minister directed her. It's undue pressure. And again, what happened at those meetings, we actually know now, because Michael Wernick, the, principal, the, the head of the clerk of the Privy Council, the most powerful bureaucrat in the country, has said, yes, on December 19th, on December 18th, on December, uh, uh, September 17th, we did talk about SNC-Lavalin. We know that he talked about it. He's open that he admitted that those conversations were about SNC-Lavalin and making sure that the jobs were protected. My question to you as a minister is, if the decision was already made on September 4th, why are they going back and trying to exert pressure on an attorney general to change the decision? Listen, Evan, I, I can't speak to the nature of those conversations because I wasn't there. What I can tell you is that in my experience, uh, whenever I've had challenging files, whenever we've had difficult situations, oftentimes there are multiple conversations about decisions that will impact Canadians from coast to coast to coast because these decisions have such an impact uh, in, in many ways, in different ways for Canadians all across the country. And so I expect those conversations with the Prime Minister to be vigorous and I look for his perspective and he respects my perspective. That has been my experience right. with the Prime Minister and his office and I continue to provide a free and unfettered perspective to him and also to listen to his perspective as he sees the entire landscape.
Minister, you've now heard from Jordy Wilson-Raybould behind cabinet doors. Uh, but what a lot of Canadians don't understand is if there's nothing here, if the, if, if the Canadians should believe the government, that nothing untoward happened, that Jody Wilson-Raybould resigned for no, some mysterious reason. Why then did the principal secretary, Gerald Butts, the most powerful non-elected person in the country, why did he resign if he says, I did nothing wrong and no one did anything wrong? Who resigns from a position if you've done nothing wrong? Explain that to us. I, you know, I haven't spoken with uh, Gerald Butson since he's resigned. I did read his very thorough letter, though, and I take him at his word. I mean, you know, he uh, was very clear in his letter that he did not want to be a distraction. Oft oftentimes, uh, you know, he uh, has been very vocal, as you know, and he is an advocate of many things. And so I take him at his word. Uh, I stand by the Prime Minister, and I, you know, I am looking forward to moving forward to deliver on behalf of Canadians all of the things that we, we are... Uh, we are working on so diligently. Last question for you, Minister. The deferred prosecution agreement that the public prosecutor's office said is not going to be given to SNC-Lavalin. I spoke to the new Attorney General. He says it's still possible that we might give that. The clerk of the Privy Council, Mr. Wernick, also said your government is still open to giving SNC-Lavalin a deferred prosecution agreement. So is that, can you just confirm that your government could still change their mind and the Attorney General could overrule the prosecution's office and give SNC-Lavalin a deferred prosecution agreement? That's still an option? You know, I, I haven't, again, been privy to those conversations. That is, uh, you know, not something that's before Cabinet. So I would suggest those questions are, are more appropriate for the Attorney General. But what I will say is that we stay focused on making sure that every decision that we take, um, we do so in a way that minimizes unintended consequences, that protects Canadian jobs, and that upholds the rule of law. These are all very important principles and lead to very important conversations. Well, I will say Mr. Wernick apparently believes that it's still open. He said that at the Justice Committee and afterwards, so apparently that's still an option. But i got to leave it there. Minister Haidu, I, I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Evan. All right, thank you. Got to leave it there. That is Minister Patty Haidu. Coming up, you've heard the government side. What about the opposition? MPs will weigh in on what they expect to hear in the next couple of days and what they believe the government still has not told you. All that's next right here on Question Period. Canadians uh, expect this government to do two things, well, to do many things, but two in particular in this case. One is to always stand up for good jobs, to make sure we're growing the economy in meaningful ways, and also to stand up to protect our institutions and the independence of our judiciary. On one hand, the Prime Minister says he didn't pressure the former Attorney General, Jody Wilson-Raybould, to make a deal with SNC-Lavalin to help them avoid fraud and corruption charges. He said he respects the rule of law. On the other hand, in the same sentence, he says it's important to stand up for Canada's economy. So is he standing up for SNC-Lavalin to protect thousands of jobs in Quebec? Did he put improper pressure on Jody Wilson-Raybould? Did his top advisor, Gerald Butts, resign to protect him to help unravel all this? Let's bring in MPs. What a week. Marco Mendicino is a Liberal MP for Ontario. Lisa Raid is the Conservative Deputy Leader and her party's justice critic. She's in Toronto. And Murray Rankin is the NDP's justice critic. He is also here in Ottawa. Good morning to everyone. Uh, let me start with uh, Lisa Raitt. Uh, the government's defense, it appears, after the clerk of the Privy Council appeared at a justice committee, and I know you were on that committee, was yes, there was pressure on Jody Wilson-Raybould, 
just not improper pressure. It was all legal, and if she felt otherwise, she should have uh, spoke up earlier. What's your response to that? Well, it's ridiculous. First of all, this is a criminal prosecution. The decision had been taken, and it was communicated to SNC-Lavalin on September 4th. On September 17th, Jody Wilson-Raybould told the Prime Minister and the Clerk of the Privy Council in no uncertain terms she wasn't going to overrule her deputy on the matter. That's where it should end. It should not go on from there. And yet we see time and time again through phone calls, through meetings between her staff and the PMO, the Prime Minister himself, Gerald Butts, and whoever else that we'll find along the way, all took it upon themselves to go in and check in with her and see whether or not she's taken another decision and decide to illuminate her on other issues that may be of concern. And I'll tell you, one thing in the testimony that really bothered me was when he said that he told meaning the clerk of the Privy Council, that he called her December 19th of his own initiation and said, the Prime Minister is very anxious and Cabinet Ministers are very anxious as well. That has nothing to do with her decision making on whether or not to have criminal charges proceed in a court proceeding. Okay. And I think that was at the end of it all, that was their final attempt to pressure her. Okay, so, so the clerk admitted all that, uh, Murray Rankin. He's open about it. He says, yeah, I met with her. Yeah. yeah, I spoke with her. If she had any problem with any of this, she could have uh, gone to the ethics commissioner. She could have called the prime minister. She didn't have to become the minister of veterans affairs. She never did. Welcome to have policies made. We talk yeah. all the yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. What do you make of that? Because there's a difference, Evan, between being minister of justice, like any other cabinet minister, and hearing what people have to say around the table, and acting as the independent final officer of the law. That is the attorney general's function. And once you, no means no, you've said that. Why are they continuing to browbeat her? But is that illegal? Yeah. But my uh, question is, that's a great question, but is it improper it, to do it so? It is improper to pressure people. It's certainly improper, yes. the prime minister acknowledged it, to direct her to do something, because that's her job. Not his, not anybody else's. That's what an independent attorney general has to do. But to browbeat her, there's clearly a line that was crossed. It seems. Should she have, let me ask you, Mr. Rankin, because yeah. you were also on the Justice Committee. Should she have spoken up at that point? That's what the clerk said. She goes, well, I don't know yeah. what her view is. My view it was totally legal. <laughs> I stand by it. If she didn't like it, she should have said something. So what part of no don't you understand, Mr. Wernick, and colleagues, and Prime Minister? I've told you no. The decision was yeah. made by somebody else. I'm not going to change my mind. Now, why do you keep talking to me if you're not trying to pressure me? Don't you understand? No. That's what she should have so, said. And now you're saying, oh, she should have called the Prime Minister's office or something. He's open 24-7. That isn't how it works. Well, I think, um, Mr. Mancino, yeah. let me ask you this. September no. 4th, the decision is made by the Department of Public Prosecution. We are not giving them a deferred prosecution agreement for SNC-Lavalin. Lavalin, as Lisa Raitt says, the government knows that by mid-September, the 17th. Why do they keep badgering or talking to... Uh, the Attorney General at that point to try to get her to change the mind. Well, Why? I reject that characterization Why? as I reject uh, both Murray and Lisa's. Uh, look, the government had an obligation to continue to bring all information which it felt would have been or could have been relevant in the decision as to whether or not to revisit the DPP's decision to not invite SNC. And that is an so, ongoing... So, so hold on, let me just... No, I want to... But I also want to tease out... they wanted her to revisit the decision. No, I want to be clear about this. There is an ongoing responsibility of the DPP and all prosecutors to consider 
information as it comes into the public domain. And so the government knowing information brought that information to the to the attention of the of the attorney general. Now, as what a result, the, just, just as a, a result, fair question: What yes. was the new information? Was it lobbying efforts by SNC, or was there genuinely new information? Well, as you heard from Mr. Wernick, he was bringing to the attention of the then attorney general information that was coming to the attention of the government of the time. Yeah. So that is a responsibility, and you would expect them to do so if it was going to potentially right. impact innocent third parties who might have been impacted by this. So the whole point of the DPA regime, Evan, yeah. is to avoid any harm being done to innocent parties like the like like the workers of a large corporation now it has been much maligned by the opposition as a get out of jail free card it is not that you had this tool it's a legal tool it was debated in both the house and the senate and it is now on the books okay hold on. And let, it is, let me bring and, Lisa and, right, and, and, and so but hold on Let's not debate the merits of it. The question, she said, I'm right. not going to use it. Now the question is when to use it. Lisa Ray, what's your response to what Mr. Mendicino said? Well, we're getting new information in from Mr. Mendicino. And again, I think this is the ninth time that the story of the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister's office has changed. Now they were just giving her new information. Well, <laughs> the Director of Public Prosecutions also wrote SNC-Lavalin and said, thank you for all of the information you've provided. This was in October. No. No again. We're not going to give you the deferred prosecution agreement. And Jody Wilson-Raybould, again, did not change her mind. That's where it stops. You cannot badger the Attorney General's office until you get the decision you want. And it's not Jody Wilson-Raybould. It's the office of the Attorney General, the independent final legal officer in this country on criminal prosecutions. And if you don't have respect for it, and it certainly doesn't seem as if those, those people who are continuing to badger the office, they don't have respect for it, that is not good within our government. It's going to get exposed, and there are going to be serious repercussions. Yeah, look, okay. so, so she resigns. We haven't talked about that. And she says the importance of the independent role of the Attorney General has to be put forward. And then Mr. Butts resigns and speaks about Jody Wilson-Raybo, the Attorney General. Like, what's going on here? Well, Mr. Reagan, what's the... the the clerk of the Privy Council's argument is pretty interesting. He says, look, the system works. We brought forward information to her. I'm, oh, I'm totally yeah. okay with it. She said no. They didn't wow. get the deferred prosecution. Story closed. Well, well, well what's your response to that? I'm, I'm Attempted intrigued. political interference with the she independent She got fired and they replaced her. Exactly. She was fired. She couldn't be directed, but she was fired. Well, to be That's fair, John, just before we, I, I mean, I'm not trying to do the liberal job here, but she was moved to Veterans Affairs, and, and a cabinet shuffle is the purview of the Prime Minister. Totally. Why is that Absolutely. sinister? Absolutely. She obviously was removed, is that a nicer word, from her role as Attorney General, because she wouldn't do somebody else's bidding. And then, right. for reasons that's yet to be disclosed, yes. right. Yes. That wasn't about going spending more time with his family. If you read the letter of resignation from Jerry Butts, it was he adverted to the attorney general and how he groomed her to be, right. be a candidate, etc. Like, come on, what's going on here? All right. I have about a, a couple seconds here. Jody Wilson-Raybould will speak either Tuesday or Wednesday. Lisa, what questions going forward do you have? I want to know why she resigned. I want to know what the trigger was for her to move from Veterans Affairs, a, a job that she said she loved, and I don't doubt that she was going to enjoy it because she continued to do the duties after she had resigned, and what prompted her to do it, what prompted her to want to speak to Cabinet in confidence, and um, I want to know what happened. And what questions, Mr. Rankin, do you have? I want to know why she stood up in an unprecedented way in our House of Commons last week and said, I want to speak my truth. 
I wanted to do so. I wanted to do so with the committee, and I don't want to hear that she can't talk about this because of solicitor-client privilege or no, we don't know if we can waive these rules. I want to hear from her. Canadians deserve to hear why the former Attorney General was removed and why she felt she had to speak out about the importance of an independent Attorney General. All right. Well, we yeah. shall see. It's a huge day. I got to leave it there. I know there's lots more to talk about, Mr. Mendicino, Ms. Raitt, and Mr. Rankin. Thank you thank all. You. I know you'll have a busy week coming up. But coming up on this program, the National Energy Board gave the Trans Mountain Pipeline the green light. Have all hurdles now been cleared or not? The Alberta Premier Rachel Notley will join us after a break. Stay right here with Question Period. Well, the pipeline issue is funneling its way back onto the front pages. On Friday, the National Energy Board came down with a key decision concluding that it is in the public interest to build the Trans Mountain expansion despite real environmental risks. So they put 60 new conditions on top of the over 150 they already imposed. Now the question is, the government has 90 days to make their decision to greenlight this. But for Alberta, where Premier Rachel Notley has just announced $3.7 billion oil-by-rail strategy, a promise to lease 4,400 rail cars to transport oil, is this pipeline too little too late? Well, let's find out. Joining me now is the Premier of Alberta, Rachel Notley. Welcome to the program, Premier Notley. Well, the National Energy Board had said it is in the public interest, the national interest, to build the pipeline, but there are still genuine environmental risks. They've got new, obviously, 16 new recommendations. What does this tell you? What message does this send uh, to the government? Well, I mean, I think it's good news. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we we think that the uh, the additional recommendations are, are sound, uh, that they can be met, that they'll improve safety uh, along the West Coast, which I think all Canadians want to see. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, but at the same time, that they're not going to serve as a barrier to moving forward with this fundamentally important economic initiative uh, for all Canadians. Yeah, but Premier, here's what's, what I expect is going to happen. The cabinet now has gotten 90 days to decide if they're going to green light it. In the meantime, we suspect there will be more legal challenges to this, and British Columbia has not altered its position. The NEB's recommendations have not changed uh, Premier Horgan's view on this. Do you believe that they can still, there will be more delays in the construction of this pipeline? Well, you know, what I will say is that I think that if the federal government uh, issues the uh, certificate, then the position is that construction begins. And yes, there may be uh, additional legal challenges, but uh, those take a, wi- a while to wind their way through the courts. In addition, what we've got right now is a path that has been endorsed by the Federal Court of Appeal. And assuming that the federal government does their job right in terms of consultation and accommodation in a meaningful way uh, with the Indigenous communities who are affected, um, and assuming that they meet the, meet the conditions that were put in place, uh, none of which uh, are, are uh, again, uh, stand to be barriers, all of which make good common sense, then we're following the path that, that the Federal Court of Appeal has essentially laid out. So I think that our case gets stronger as we go. And as a result of the federal government buying the pipeline, 
quite frankly, the ability of the government of BC to have much impact uh, on where this goes uh, is significantly reduced. Uh, their impact was always about sort of making investors nervous, uh, but now that the federal government owns it and, uh, and national support for the pipeline has grown, uh, their ability to use that tool is significantly impeded. When do you think the earliest possible date is to get shovels in the ground if the cabinet approves it? Um, you know, I don't know what the earliest possible date is uh, because at the end of the day, it will be driven by the consultation and the accommodation itself, which uh, will be, you know, uh, re uh, reprofile a little bit as a result of the the additional changes and conditions that came out today, uh, but I don't think it's unreasonable at all to to look at the fall uh, with a, in a cautiously optimistic way as a time when we can see shovels back in the ground. All right, last question for you, Premier. I just wonder if do you get the sense that the sands have shifted? and you're on the wrong side of maybe Albertans. Uh, you've got Jason Kenney, Doug Ford, uh, Premier Moen, Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, all opposed to the government's carbon tax. You supported it. You've got a convoy called Unite the Roll, uh, United We Roll, uh, coming to Ottawa to talk about pipelines and the carbon tax. You've got people putting up billboards saying we want to leave Canada in Alberta. Are you sensing that Albertans have turned on the federal government over carbon, over pipelines, and that you've maybe attached yourself too closely to Justin Trudeau and you may get burned by that. Well, you know, I don't know that I've necessarily attached myself to, to any particular government or any particular stripe of federal government. What I've done is I've focused on making the right decisions for Albertans from day one. Uh, we brought in a climate leadership plan before, or, or we started working on it, and we introduced it about a week after uh, Justin Trudeau was elected. So quite frankly, it had very little to do uh, with the federal Liberals. It had a, What it had to do with was our campaign uh, promise uh, to help reposition uh, Alberta energy industry as, as the most sustainable and responsible producer and to also make the right decisions for generations to come. Uh, as, as far as uh, making progress on the pipeline, uh, that's exactly what we've been focused on doing. And, and what I will say uh, as well is that we have done this with a view to building Canada, not dividing it. And I think that the vast majority of Albertans agree with that. And so when it comes to that issue, uh, I'm quite happy to, to run on that matter. All right. Thanks, Premier Notley. Got to leave it there. But coming up on the program, a supersized edition of the Scrum. We'll dig into the SNC-Lavalin affair. Former NDP leader Tom Mulcair is here, plus the man who broke the story. The Globe and Mail's Bob Fife joins us on Question Period. Be back in a minute. I uh, am still consulting with my legal counsel, as I think uh, people can appreciate or should appreciate the um, rules and laws around privilege, around confidentiality, around my responsibility as a member of parliament. My ethical and professional responsibilities as a lawyer are layered and incredibly complicated, so I'm still working with my lawyer. How she interprets or perceives those conversations uh, she can tell you next week. I can tell you my view very firmly is they are entirely appropriate, lawful, legal. 
Well, you might want to call next week the inconvenient truths of Jody Wilson-Raybould when she finally breaks her silence and speaks her truth in her words in front of the House Justice Committee. Will she accuse the government of trying to pressure her? Is it obstruction of justice? Will she inflame the crisis further? Or will this debate come down to two different versions about what qualifies as pressure? Uh, whatever you think, already the costs of this controversy have been incredibly high. The drama, very intense. The Prime Minister's principal secretary, his best friend, his closest advisor, the most powerful unelected person in the country, Gerald Butts, gone. Resigned. We don't know why. Jody Wilson-Raybould spoke behind closed doors to Cabinet and Caucus. What did she say? Where is this going? Why does it matter? To answer all those questions, the special scrum is here. Tonda McCharles is the senior reporter for the Toronto Star. She's beside Joyce Napier, CTV's Ottawa bureau chief. Craig Oliver is CTV's chief political commentator with a patented wave. Bob Fife, the bureau chief for the Globe and Mail, is here. And our special guest is the former NDP leader, now CTV political commentator. And I like it. He's a troublemaker now, which is he always has been, Tom Mulcair, which is great. Uh, well, that was not much of a week, everybody. I'm glad you're here. There's nothing to discuss. Uh, Bob Fife, let me, let me start with you. Not only did the Globe break the story, but... Uh, at committee, the, um, Michael Wernick, the most powerful bureaucrat in the country, said it was unsubstantiated, your story, and he called it even defamatory. What's the response to that? You know, this is a, the government keeps saying there's false, false, false. Well, you know, in politics, the best defense is often a strong offense, and particularly going after and shooting the messenger. But in his testimony, he actually confirmed what we reported. We reported that Miss Wilson Rabel was subjected to pressure to cut a deal so that SNC would, uh, Lavalin would not be prosecuted and would pay a fine. We did not say that the prime minister directed her to do so. Nobody said that. In fact, nobody did do that. But he did confirm not only that they, they, they pressured her over a number of meetings, which none of us even knew about, uh, but he said, yes, it was pressure, but it wasn't inappropriate pressure. Right. Well, that's the key. Tom Mulcair, so, so you're a lawyer, you're the former leader. The, the government line seems to be this. Yeah, welcome. This, this is the sausage factory. This is how it's made. We did pressure. It just wasn't a problem. What do you make of that? They're making that rule up. And Bob Fife is exactly right. He's not denying they put pressure on her. And he says, well, I was just giving her context. Yeah, sure. Do you know how many jobs are involved? Do you know how many people will lose their pension? Do you know how many suppliers are involved? You can just imagine, you know, that's not pressure at all. That's what we're talking about here. It doesn't come down to a question of he said, she said. I think that Mr. Warnick didn't help Mr. Trudeau at all yesterday. He didn't help with his overblown rhetoric about assassinations. This overblown rhetoric, you know, that would be appropriate in a high school valedictorian speech has no place uh, but, but at we, the highest well, level Tom, of parliament. What we, did get from Warnick, what we did get from him at least, uh, which we never got from any of the politicians, uh, was a degree of, uh, of luminancy, a degree of transparency, which we have never had up until now. He admitted that the uh, company laid on a blitzkrieg, an, as what he called a historically unprecedented lobbying effort on everybody in Parliament Hill they could get to, all the way up to the top. Uh, and if that isn't pressure, you have to ask yourself, what is pressure? There was huge pressure, not only from Lavalin, it was from the political uh, class in Quebec City. But I think we should celebrate for four or five seconds the fact that our system worked. And we forget this. In all this, this is just a political story. It is not a policy story because the policy worked. 
There are checks and balances. There are checks and balances. And at the end of the day, the pressure didn't work. It did not work. It no, didn't no, 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 no,
I think we have to go back to yeah. the timing of her resignation from yeah. cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. When she when she heard the prime minister using her as a ventriloquist, he had her saying, "Oh, I talked to her. She confirmed that I didn't give her any directives. Oh, and by the way, she had a an obligation. She had a duty that she didn't respect. And what do you want as better proof? She's still in cabinet, so everything must be right." But she did That's have when a duty. she said, but she "Sayonara, does have that I'm duty. done," and she resigned. You know what? I, I, okay. I, we'll have to wait until uh, uh, Miss Wilson Raybould testifies. Absolutely. But my my suspicion here is the reason why she didn't resign was she felt she had stopped the uh, the government from trying to give this sweetheart deal to SNC-Lavalin, but that if the new uh, Justice Minister and Attorney General was to uh, uh, override the independent prosecutor's decision, that she would have resigned then. I don't know that, but I think that may be the reason. Okay, I, I got to wrap that up. There's lots more to come. Lots of questions. It will be, I keep saying it's next week, but it's maybe 48 hours away is when Jody Wilson-Raybould. But before I go, Tom Mulcair, we're about to talk about by-elections and your former yes. riding uh, is a by-election yep. and then Jagmeet Singh in Burnaby. I got to get your predictions for both Mr. Singh and what happens in your former riding in Montreal Neutral. From all the information I've been able to gather, Mr. Singh has it in Burnaby South. It's a 50-year NDP riding. The Liberals went into meltdown over the change of candidate, and the polling is looking good, and the doorstep is looking good. Outremont, I was expecting that the Liberals would have it in a cakewalk. I still think it's going to be a very tough fight for the NDP to hold on to that riding, but the actual issue of SNC-Lavalin, I am told by several cultural communities, has been playing out on the doorstep. It's not that people will necessarily change their vote from Liberal to NDP, for example, but they might stay home, which in the case of a by-election has essentially the same result. So I'm expecting it to be closer than it would have been. I don't know if the NDP's had enough time to make up the, the fact that it was already quite a bit behind the Liberals. And see, Tom, now you've solidified your transition from politics to punditry because that was a perfect segue <laughs> for our next scrum where we will talk about the political impacts of those by-elections. Tom Mulcair and Bob Feist, thanks so much for joining us. The rest of the All scrum the is here. Uh, pollster Nick Nanos will join us about this shifting political landscape and what the fate of Judgment Singh might be and if this SNC-Lavalin scandal really has hit the Liberals hard. Stay right here with Question Period. Tomorrow is do-or-die day for NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Voters head to the polls in Burnaby South. Will he finally get a seat in the House of Commons? And what will happen to his political future if he loses? To talk about that and the political fallout of the SNC scandal, we are not done there. The Scrum is back. Tana McCharles is here. Joyce Napier is back, of course. Craig Oliver is back. And our special guest this time is the CEO and Executive Director of Nanos Research, the pollster Nick Nanos. All right, uh, Scrum's back. Nick, uh, welcome to the program. Let's just start with the by-election for Jagmeet Singh. Um, it's do or die day. What are you expecting to see? This is going to be a tough by-election any way you cut it because the previous candidate only won by 2%. The one thing he's got going for him are the Liberals because they've blown up, as they say, blown up real good in the last week between SNC-Lavalin and, you know, controversies related to the Prime Minister. So Jagmeet Singh's not got to run on himself. He's got to run on a platform to send a message for disgruntled Liberals and to send him to Ottawa. But I still think it's going to be tight. It's tight. But I think he wins, Tonda. And then there's that. I mean, if he doesn't win... I don't know how he stays on. I still think he wins. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that he's probably going to slip through in that riding. And this week, last few weeks, have helped the NDP's cause. Um, 
But you know, I think uh, you know Tom Mulcair flagged that you know this is not this is not going, they're not going to clean the slate to, uh, this week on the by-elections, right? They've, they're in tough, and uh, he's still got problems. He's got caucus members leaving left, right, and center. Yeah, two more this past yeah. week. And he has financial problems as well, and that is not insignificant on an election year either. And I'm not sure how much this SNC is helping them right now, right, giving him the momentum he needs in, in Burnaby. But I do think that he will make it, maybe by the skin of I, his I'm teeth. Counting, at this point, I'm counting, depending on how you count them, 10 or 11 MPs, including last week two Quebec MPs who are saying they're not running again. I mean, the, the party really looks like it's coming to pieces. Could you imagine if you're a progressive voter, Craig, and you're thinking there's a red car crash? If Jagmeet Singh loses on Monday, there'll be an orange car crash. They'll be like, well, there'll be who will people vote for and support? But Nick, how about, that, but how about that SN? This we've been talking about it oh, on the first part of the scrum. The SNC Lavalin, Jody Wilson Raybould, she testifies Tuesday or Wednesday. How much of an impact has this controversy slash scandal had, negative for the Liberals, maybe positively for the Conservatives and the NDP? Well, the reality is, is that if you're a Liberal supporter, you have to be very disappointed at what you've seen. But the, the rubber will hit the road when the former minister shows up at the committee meeting. If she is aggressive, if she is negative on the Prime Minister or the Liberal Party, it will be exceptionally bad news if she if, if this becomes a situation where she says I felt there was pressure and the PMO says we raise jobs but that she's still a liberal still supports the prime minister still supports right. the liberal party party there'll be less political juice for the opposition well, parties have, uh, the results in the province of Quebec in terms of the by-election in Outremont uh, because it's been very difficult for a lot of people who don't uh, like very much Lavalin, and because it has its re well-earned reputation for corruption. Uh, a lot of Quebecers don't like that, I'm told, and that may have an impact on the, on the vote there. Who knows? I think they have a very bad communication strategy going here, or a non-communication strategy, yeah. rather. They're talking all sorts of things. The Prime Minister says one thing one day, he has an MP saying something else another day. They don't, doesn't, they, they don't seem to be able to get ahead of this problem, of this SNC-Lavalin problem. They can't, they can't explain it. They can't, they, they, they don't, they're, they're, they're not grabbing it. They're not owning the message. They, and on top of mm -hmm. it, how do you design a strategy when you don't know what she is going to say. Well, see, I think actually now they do know because, uh, according to the Globe report, she told them in cabinet how she felt and how she saw things. So I think they know where it's coming from. But it seems they're very conflicted in their communications, conflicted internally too, because actually they do see themselves as the indigenous friendly, you know, women friendly government, and they don't know how to quite tackle this head on. They should have done what they promised in the election campaign and tried openness and transparency. Yeah, Instead of trying to come up with a new story every day yes. to cover what just yeah. happened and, and looking contradictory and, I may say, less than honest. Some of this is inside baseball. Three words. Yes. Yeah. Watch the economy. If the economy goes exactly. down, if there are more layoffs, this will be a major issue because it will make voters very grumpy. Where's the good news? Uh, Notice I'm pausing. Okay, well, hey, good well, news. well, let me ask about that. The National Energy Board on Friday came up with a pretty big decision. They will recommend the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, even though they admit there will be real environmental consequences, mm -hmm. even though they've put on 60 new recommendations on top of the over 150 they've already got. What do they do there? Because pipeline politics is now pushing its way back onto the political scene. I don't think it's a win. If you're, no, if you're a supporter of pipelines, you're not voting for the Liberals anyways.
there's still a long way to go before right. there will be and any I construction see. on that pipeline, and the Liberals will probably go into this election without having moved a shovel of dirt. Well, that's interesting That's choice. possible, and that's, that's a big risk, and that's possible, because let's not forget we bought the pipeline, it's ours, and, you know, was, was that a happy idea? We don't know yet, but if they can't build it, and we own it, and we're losing hundreds of millions of dollars every week, mm. well, again, yeah. it's the economy, yeah. stupid, that's what's going to happen, you know, and also well, this has court challenges. Make, brings money in. They're not losing this, money on that yet. This has court challenge. This NEB decision mm -hmm. has court challenge written all over it, and we may see that. There will you, be more. There, sorry, Tana, there will be more court challenges. Joyce is right. That's what the opponents say. Nonetheless, now the clock starts ticking, just so people appreciate this. Once the NEB makes its decision, the, the cabinet has 90 days. They may try to stretch yeah. that to make a decision as to whether they will go through with the pipeline, whether they delay it or not. But what are the cho what's the choice they have? If the, is it beneficial to build or is it beneficial pretty, to delay? They've pretty much signaled and they're the NEB, build. they're going to build and the, and, the, and the NEB has said it's in the public interest to build it, yes. right? So they've got a buffer there. They've got a backstop to say, here's the justification for any decision. But look, it takes us right into May, June, end right. of uh, May, early June, right to the end mm. of the parliamentary session. And that, guess what? Then we're in pre-election mode. Yeah. yeah, and you know, the question is, there are probably liberal, progressive, environmentally-minded voters that are disappointed. Will that disappointment convert into desertion come the next election? Or because they're not home. happy. Or okay. staying home. I've or staying got, home. I, I've Stay got one minute. I, I want to just end with this. Here's a clip from Michael Warnick. He is the privy count. He, he runs the top public servant, right? The clerk of the privy council. And he was supposed to talk about the whole SNC-Lavalin, but... Somehow he opened his remarks with a dark warning about potential assassinations and a politician getting shot in the upcoming election. Check this out. I worry about the rising tide of incitements to violence when people use terms like treason and traitor in open discourse. Those are the words that lead to assassination. I'm worried that somebody's going to be shot in this country this year during the political campaign. I, I, I was baffled. My jaw hit the floor when I saw that. I didn't know what it had to do with this, Nick. He also called social media a vomitorium. What did you make of, 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 of Wernick's kind of opener? Well, as setting aside the vomitorium quip, what does he know that we don't know? You can't have Canada's yeah. top public servant talk about someone getting shot. And I was thinking, obviously, you are privy to information that all of us are not. Yes. So the big question is, why did he make that comment? Is it based on anything other than conjecture? I think it was more than a Prince of Darkness shift, uh, uh, shtick. I think, I think like you, this man knows something, and that was somewhat of a warning or a way to say, look, there are more impor important and urgent things going on here that perhaps you should know about. I didn't like hearing it. I think people with marginal personalities may yes. take that as an idea they haven't had yet. It worries me that somebody's saying that on television, and if, even him. And if there was a reason to give that warning to Canadians, it might have been done in a we different setting. Sure, do it in a different setting. But, you know, that wasn't the only other concerning thing when he said that the whole issue of raising concerns about the independence yeah. of our system threatens the lives of three Canadians in China. That, too, was also very worrying. All right, I, I got to leave it there. It is going to be an absolutely wild week next week, Tuesday, or this week, actually, Tuesday or Wednesday. Jody Wilson-Rabel will appear before the Justice Committee. What will happen? We don't know, but all eyes will be on that. I don't know if you like popcorn, but it might be a good day to get some. Nick Nanos, Tana McCharles, Joyce Napier, Craig Oliver, for all of us here, thanks so much for watching. And believe me, we will be back here in seven short days.